This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Sunday kind of love. I'm Maya Tan. And what would you do if you were half human, half machine? Which part of you would dominate? This is the question asked in this week's episode, featuring Angeline Woon's story underneath her tudung. Set in the Malaysia of the future or a parallel universe, mobile medical unit model DN-01152 is a doctor bot speeding about the city, trying to save lives. Taja Fusil tells the story with Othniel Ting and Hanif Baharudin. Apa tu? Robot? <laughs> if robots can become doctors, then anything can become doctors. Kereta pun boleh, striker pun boleh, sudu garpu pun boleh jadi doktor. Dan itulah dia komen daripada yang berhormat Menteri Kesihatan dan Hal Ehwal Pengguna di sempena upacara pecah tanah kilang robotik MMU di Genting Jaya pada 25 hari bulan September tahun 2051. Dan sekarang, laporan terkini mengenai jerebu. Bacaan Indeks Pencemaran Udara atau IPU yang semakin merosot petang ini akibat jerebu mencecas pergerakan penggunaan jalan raya di sekitar... Got you. I tried to stuff my hair back under the tudung, but received a small jolt of electricity for my trouble. Ow! The nano-cable conglomerate, free once more from my effort to imprison them, swayed gently against my forehead. I swear they were laughing at me. The optical sensors at the end of the nano-cables were lit a gentle blue. What lah? I needed help. I pinged our wing and had to wait 2.46 seconds for his image to pop up over my video feed. I don't... <sighs> Said our wing, yawning. Poor guy was up all night running last-minute system checks on my software. How's the first day back on the job? I'm having a really bad hair day. Fix it. I'm your mechanic lah, not your hairdresser. Aweng! Okay, okay. I still can't do anything. Sorry. The nano cables get their instructions locally. Meaning? Meaning all directions come from your nervous system. I can't do anything from here. Drop in after your shift for servicing and see how lah. Great. So this rebellion by my hair meant I was subconsciously trying to secede from myself. As I pondered getting a crew cut, a shadow loomed over me. It belonged to a member of the unit Pungasan Maxiat. We called them Max, for obvious reasons. The man glared at me with the official face, the kind that could only have come from sucking the life out of the mother of all Limau Purits. It took real training, that face. Mana I see? Mana I see? Identity card and bank account number at one go. He looked me up and down, most likely calculating the surface area of black jubah per volume of tempting flesh that I carried out on sinful bones. I'd seen that look before, but usually with other women as targets. With much regret, I realised I'd never before said or done anything to mitigate such odiousness. To correct that error, I asked, Isn't account checking the domain of the unit Punjagajanaya? Marks never liked comparisons to the gens. The gens were the prime movers, the darlings, the boss of all law enforcement branches of the Gunting Jaya group. GJG on the shiny badges, Jijit to the wits in private. The current and only corporation that ran the Federation of Malaysia. Marks tended to be washouts from the gen program, hence their attitude. The Marks smile glowed like the surface of a well-seasoned walk. 
In case you didn't know, Cik, this is Genting Jaya, capital city of the Federation of Malaysia. The rakyat who want to live here must be pious. I have to check all suspicious, potentially sinful activity, Cik. Good boy. Thanks for the geography and Pedidika moral lesson. I said and got up to leave. The mark blocked my exit, and when I tried to sidestep, shoved his force stick against my chest. Mana I see? Mana I see? Fed up, I grabbed the wrist holding the weapon and pushed it away. He tried to pull free, but my left arm was a souped-up part of me. Mechanical, cybernetic, hard as steel and soft as synth skin. His expression turned from one of unfulfilled desire into anger. Still holding his wrist, I waved my other hand in front of his face to make sure he paid attention. Despite the drain on my batteries, I activated the most accurate, high-resolution version of my identity module. The hologram of the Mobius Strip Chris hovered brightly over my palm in the harsh sunlight. Your group? He croaked. I nodded at my colleague. The hologram switched mid-swirl to that of a spiky buckyball. His eyes widened in fear. Even Marx feared members of the unit Pungasan virus. With the blink of an eye, I could label him a sicky and send him into permanent quarantine under the dome in Kuala Lumpur. Puas, I asked. He nodded vigorously in response. Terima kasih, Cik. Uh, Puan? Tuan? Terima kasih. My hair jabbed him between the eyes. He screamed. Huh? What are you? Before clamping his mouth shut with his free hand. My God, I thought I would have to deal with a cardiac arrest there and then. I ignored his question and wrote him an MC for the afternoon off, since he looked like he was in a state of shock. Padamuka. He thanked me again before running away, like hantu were at his heels. <coughs> White coat syndrome? Cyberbot phobia? Or maybe he thought I was a late model penanggal. Awing <coughs> pinged me with a patient's chart. The moment I accepted the case, a countdown timer was activated, showing I had 12 minutes to get to my patient. The export app mapped my route in 3D, then flattened to a virtual yellow line, overlaying the physical road ahead. I ran where the yellow line told me to go. I received a live audiovisual feed from Aweng. Official summon. I hereby notify that you have been given a black mark on your file. He said. I grunted. A text message came over our secret and hopefully secure line. Aweng again. He piggybacked the text messages on the official audiovisual feed so that the higher-ups wouldn't know we were conferring in private. I replied as I ran. Don't worry, I'm a trained professional. Shouldn't have done that war, made an enemy of him. He shouldn't have touched me. Just doing his job, what? Also, unit pengesan virus, blatant misrepresentation. Yeah, meh? Should I hand in my consultant badge? No la, but D cannot just mengamot like war robot, okay? Che. The main problem with being a mobile medical unit was that people thought you wanted to shoot people all the time instead of saving lives. MMUs were not war robots. They were developed during the virus pandemic in Kuala Lumpur. Death toll among frontliners was high, both from the virus and from the chaos. So robots were created to treat and police the city folk. After the dome quarantine was enforced, the group kept up its MMU fleet, rather than dismantle the expensive operation. Unfortunately, the robots were lousy peacetime doctors. They couldn't empathize with patients. To save the program, the group merged robots with human doctors, ostensibly for their bedside manners. Most of the chosen doctors had suffered from terminal illnesses or injuries from accidents. Others had been persuaded, 
via threats or pretty promises to climb into the metal suit. One foolish girl volunteered. For a decade, MMUs have technically been cyborgs, but the group, for bizarre reasons of its own, passed them off as robots. I was one of those disguised cyborgs. Life as a full robot is no fun. For one thing, they wiped our memories so we could function better as robots. Crazy, right? Why even bother with the human element? Just write a better robot software or something. But that's Genting Jaya for you. Due to a blip in my programming, I had flashbacks to my former life. Awing was tasked to fix me, which he did, by rebooting to default. Ta-da! Human again. Mostly. About 44.67% organic. And really, the brain counted for more than mere spare parts, didn't it? At least that was what I like to tell myself in the dark of night. The steady jogging calmed me down enough to realize that any black mark against me went against Awing too. In the group, we're all team members. Huzzah. Sorry about our KPI. It's okay. The look on his face, worded. Hang on, how you know? Your hair sent me a shot. <laughs> I laughed, but inwardly I felt disturbed. The look of horror on the mark's face, I kept running. The refrain, huh? What are you? thudded in my mind in the wake of my footfalls. A short while later, I came to a screeching halt. Gears clanked, the suspension squeaked. High grade, Kunun. As my weight settled and coolant leaked in soft hisses under my clothes. It was embarrassing, but I had other worries. Awing, do you see what I see? In this most eventful place, this fine city of ours, coruscating atop the cool ridges of the Banjaran Titi Wangsa, the mechanic whistled as he watched the feet I sent him. Jam gila. All about me, the masses milled. They waved tokens of gratitude, gleaned during their observation of the holy hour. They lined up at the many M. Kadai booths, talking excitedly, catching up with news from the Jiran Tetanga, letting their children run wild, screaming. Jam gila, I agreed. You're the guy with the scientific calculator. You're zen with GPS. You're one with atomic clock. So why didn't you factor in that it's makan time in the souk? The souk? What are you doing there? Hang on, let me check. <gasps> D. That's not the export path I send you! Hey! Kena sabo! Better pretend it was the right file for now. DN-01152 is on the wrong path and the higher-ups are monitoring her every move. What happens next? A sunny kind of love returns with Underneath Her Tudong right after this on BFM 89.9. It's a Sunday kind of love, I'm Maya Tan. Angeline Woon's story, underneath her tudung, takes centre stage today. She's been standing up against bureaucracy and battling her way across the city to get to her patient. But now, mobile medical unit DN-01152 has discovered she's on the wrong path. Tasha Fusil continues the story. No, nothing wrong with the export file, said Awing out loud. In fact, it's the best route we got. Oh. Dai, 
All other possible paths have temporary roadblocks and detours. We are being targeted. Gee, I'm starting to think the bosses hate us. We always knew they'd come for revenge because I didn't mind wipe you when the flashback started. Come to think, why didn't you? Kepo lor. Other cyborgs, if got problem, they would chinchai reinstall the OS, but they sent you to me for special treatment. I wanted to know who you were. Mana tau your atasan. Not me. I work for a living. You're talking about Dian's mother. D, you are Dian. Save the psychoanalysis for later. I'm on the job. Righty ho, you the boss. Sorry, Wang. That was out of line. Look, mother's influence may have kept me from the scrap heap. And your development of self-programming cybernetics is your saving grace. But there are all kinds of ways for the bosses to make life miserable for us. Tell me about it. My paperwork got bummed down last week for missing one comma. Leche. Awing, serious lah. If our KPI drops too much, they can kick us out of the MMU program. Okay, serious? I have no illusions of the danger we are in. They may find another genius and accidents can happen. But... I think it'll take some time. So we are safe for now. Let's just do our jobs, like you said, and talk later. Generic malt drinks are on you, Cyberdog. That's a promise, Mecha Boss. Thanks. Ramli Soup was a dilapidated ancient kawasan, with buildings dating back to before the founding of Genting Jaya. Everything else after that had been built higgledy-piggledy in every nook and cranny of the highlands, some downward like the west end of the Atasan Tower, and some extending outward from the cliffs, like the Singapore sector. The resulting mess meant that most 3D maps of the area looked like they came from a protein modelling software. In the rest of Genting Jaya, a man might decide to visit a neighbour, who despite being in an adjacent flat, actually lives in another building. The man might have to go up a floor, and up again on another stairwell, then down a floor, and down again using escalators. He'd have to negotiate dinkats and arases and stories. There were no standards in nomenclature. Now going left, then right, then left, and right again, through multiple tunnels, corridors, and moving sidewalks. He might walk from the concourse of Bangunan A straight to the roof of Bangunan B before reaching his friend's place. But if he lived in the Ramli Souk, all he would have to do is go to RS1, negotiate the main market area to his friend's building, then ride the lift up to his friend's floor. The trick was getting through RS1, which was, as I surveyed it, chock a block with humanity. Pushing through the crowd brought back a muscle memory, a flashback of wading in the sea. Had I really done that before? Not recently, and not as MMU-model DN-01152. It had to be Dian. Privileged Dian, daughter of the Atasan, a class of people so high up they controlled the group. She never had a day's worry and could afford to go to the seaside. Idealistic Dian, who signed up for the cyborg fleet just so she could get away from the guilt of being born with a silver spoon in her mouth. A little girl ran into me and clutched my leg. I don't want economy! Yucks! She screamed. I want I looked around for a parental unit, but saw no one who seemed to want the child back. Meanwhile, the tantrum drew disgusted looks and comments about my terrible parenting skills. 
Dian Yusuf had had a daughter. What would she do? I picked up the child and tried to comfort her, but she kept crying. Even my hair got in the act with a quiet but complex light show, but the girl's eyes were screwed tightly shut so she missed all the fun. Hish, sorry, Chick. Come here, Anna. Don't disturb people, said a harried adult who was carrying a basket full of plain economy containers. No preemie mmm for this family. There was nothing nutritionally different between the two, though the premium stuff, I've been told, tasted better. I was never able to tell the difference. Atasandian, I reminded myself, never had the cause to eat the stuff. The mother reached us and I passed over the errant child. The good stuff always runs out early, she said. I casted about for something to say. I, I heard there's always an excess of economy. The kitchen sends leftovers to the vats where they melt them down and make more noodles for the next day. So, haha, economy is immortal. The woman clutched her child and left without another word. What lah? Years of being MMU-model-DN-01152 had really messed with my people skills. Though parts of her body lived on, Diane Yusuf was well and truly dead. Reverse Cinderella got her wish. I shrugged away the cobwebs of my past. I've been D ever since my memories came back a few weeks ago. What am I? Who am I? I'd figure it out later. All I knew was that on my first day back on the job after being cleared fit for duty, I was mucking up on an epic scale. Ah wing, I'm stuck. Can we request for a change to the countdown timer? If not, I think we need to consider sending another doctor to take up the case. I cringed as I said that. If the situation continued, our KPI would hit rock bottom. But patience came first. D, didn't you read the patient chart? Busy war. Looking now. Oh! Well, crap. It had to be a micro-implant case. Micro-implants were small computers inserted into the brain, meant to control and enhance the central nervous system. Recently, software issues had been causing the computers to reboot randomly, resulting in the concomitant shutdown of biological cells. Death came quickly upon onset of the first set of seizures. Most micro-implant failures occurred in generic models, such as the ones inserted in the children of the souk, whose parents had tried to elevate them beyond the kawasan, with their dreams of reaching heaven itself, the Atasan Tower. I glanced at the child's age and the parent's occupation. Then I put the chart aside. There's a doctor on the scene, doc, but she's human, said Awing. Can she treat? Negative. The human microimplant interface isn't functional as yet. Human doctors could diagnose microimplant cases based on the symptoms, but because they couldn't jack in, the software issues were no fix. The doctor could only stand by helpless while the patient convulsed to death. What about a robot? I said. No, maybe not one of those. They can't read emotions well enough to get a baseline. Find a cyborg. D. Let them hear what I have to say. We'll air it out on the official channel. We are so dead. You are the only cyborg we've got in the area, Dr. D. Right you are. Forget what I said earlier about swapping. We're going to get to the patient by any means possible. Talking was always easier than doing. Don't go in there, please. Not the side lane, said Awing. I've got to, it's the only way. But it's not even properly on the map. There's just faint dotted lines. Is there only one exit? No turn-offs? Yes, straight through. Then I can't possibly get lost. Plot me another path from the exit point. Something is dampening the signal in that area. I won't be able to monitor you. What if there are toll collectors? If the signal is being tampered with, there's a strong possibility of that, don't you think? The... I'm a big girl, Awing, I said. Relax, I'll be fine. Have some tea or something, I'll pin you on the other side. I shut down communications. I'd rather that than have it drop and go into static. 
I might have been all bravado in front of Ah Wing, but inside, I was quivering like agaga. Maybe that altercation with the mark had reminded me what it was like to be a woman, and not a cyborg in robot disguise. Women in dark lawless places just don't vibe. Still, I tucked my hair under the tudung, wheeled away the ghost of Yan Yusuf, and stepped into the side lane. A side lane was a no-man's land amid the busy, well-lit and sponsored roads of Kunting Jaya. Most functioned to harbour parasitic elements of society, much like the nervous system with latent viruses. Some side lanes had once had names, which were briefly remembered or long since forgotten. Others had been gentrified, adopted by corporations like Chao Kit Baru. The one I stepped into bore all the signs of a potential confrontation with a troll on the bridge. I bet even the Marks and Jens would have hesitated to venture in. The passageway was mostly in shadow from the buildings around it. Some light and noise filtered down from the flats and shops above, and from the main road. But the real world was untouchable when you were in a side lane. Graffiti decorated the walls. Judging from the type of paint and the politics, they probably came from antiquity. The lane was barely wide enough for a car to fit through and smelled of rancid remains of Ikonomi and Sate Gaga, a popular protein supplement in these parts. My hair got free and made itself useful at last. It turned on a white light, more useful for peering into throats than checking out that the back doors were welded into place. My advance was slow, peppered with excitement when various items dropped from above, such as a freshly dead cat, deceased before it hit the ground, had to stop to make sure it was animal and not human. A dodgy looking bag of clothes and what looked like synth skin, TM, from a 3D printer and a box of novelty kitchen utensils. At least I thought they were for the kitchen. A puddle of water turned out to be decaying acid from an acid gun, which wasn't really acid by the by, but a biological agent derived from bacteria that could eat through bone. I walked faster near the end of the lane. Then I heard a series of electronic squeals. Before I could run, I was pulled into an alcove. My arms were held behind me, my throat gripped by rough hands. Who's got Dr. D by the throat? Stay close. We'll find out together in just a bit on A Sunday Kind of Love, BFM 89.9. It's A Sunday Kind of Love, Maya Tan here. Today we're telling Angeline Woon's story about Mobile Medical Unit DN-01152. Now, in between fighting off government officer types and human traffic to get to her patient, Dr. D battles with the human parts left within her and the memories coming back too fast for her liking. And now someone's got her by the throat in a dark alley. Read by Tasha Fusil, Othniel Ting and Hanif Baharudin, The Plot Thickens. The throat gripper leaked 133T when he talked. For an idea of what 133 speech sounded like, IRL, go to the Archie Electronica on Jalan Usanama and look up a dialogue modem. Audio samples are also available on the website. I pretended not to understand what he was saying. Something tripped our senses and it turned out to be a girl, said throat gripper, turning off the screech. What you doing, Bawatanga? Leaving, I said. Bye. The hold on me tightened. Bye, told first. No, my bosses say we cannot negotiate with criminals. Not that I cared much about what the bosses said, but I needed to practice my communication skills. Give me a break. Eh, we are not criminals, we are toll collectors. 
You pay taxes? Hui! He's bad. I guess not. That makes you a criminal. Throat Gripper pressed himself against me. It seemed to be that kind of a day. The ghost of Diane was screaming, and I placed her memories firmly in an archive folder and forgot the password. MMU-model DN-01152 streamed a list of protocols in my left eye implant, which culminated in the order to tembak je. And Dr. D... Through the eyes of Diane the doctor and MMU-model DN-01152, Dr. D had seen too many clinical cases that were outcomes of assaults, of the kind these jokers seemed to have planned for me. It shouldn't have mattered. I was metal from the chest down, but something squirmed anyway in what was left of my gut. I struggled with the men. There was a ripping sound as my clothes tore. I stamped on the foot of the man behind me and dug an elbow into his belly. Fortunately for him, the right elbow. I hit butted Throat Gripper, who was also favoured by Fortune as he had a hard head, probably enhanced. We were all of us in a tableau. I was still in the alcove. Throat Gripper stood in the lane with an acid gun pointed at me. The sidekick, called him Armrest, stood behind him, bent double. Where is that light coming from? Asked Throat Gripper. He looked up at my hair, which had shrugged off the tudong and was arrayed around my head like the hood of a cobra. He stared at my body, exposed now that the juba was torn, at the stippling on my chest, where flesh joined metal, at the lights that blinked along my legs and torso. Nah, tengok! I said. Puas! Throat Gripper stumbled into his friend. What are you? Pumpuan ke? Machine ke? Apa? Pumpuan lah, dumbass! I said. Bro, it's one of those MMU things, said his khaki. It's a killer bot. I'm not a killer, I'm a healer. A robot? Nice. Can we use it for spare parts? Asked Throat Gripper. They both assessed me again, the look in their eyes no different from when they thought I was a girl. Jerks, I'm right here, I can hear you. Do you think they'd miss it? Asked Armrest. Her, miss her, I said. Even if they come looking? We're teaching this place anyway, replied Throat Gripper. He eyed me, the acid gun vacillating as he tried to figure out the best place to shoot, to preserve the goods. He settled for dead centre between my eyes. My upper body burned with the heat of anger. Ah Wing was waiting for me to emerge from the lane. My patient's life was ebbing away into the ether. These two mangkos were talking about me like I was a thing. I had just got my life back, and though I didn't know what that meant at the time, I wanted the chance to find out. My hair extended. Intense lightning-like flashes filled the lane. Both men cried out and clawed at their eyes. Now that I have your attention, don't move, I said. You can't see it, but I have an acid gun pointed at you. I didn't want to get rough before, do no harm and all that, but the two of you have persuaded me otherwise. Now drop your weapon. Like before, they didn't seem to want to listen. They probably thought I was lying about having a gun. In pain and temporarily blinded, they still came at me, their hands outstretched, the gun still in Throat Gripper's hand. I should have shot them. Full Robot D would have, without question. So I brought out the bone saw. My left hand dropped and hung from a hinge. From the hollow of the wrist came the saw, whirling and whirring, gleaming in the light from my hair. It would have been gruesome enough if it was seen, but the noise could make one believe in God. It cut through one's head. It shrieked for sacrifice. It called for things to slice. An acid gun is commonplace enough, so you learn how to manage when someone points one at you. But a bone saw. 
You could never be sure about the kind of person who would bring a medical implement into a gunfight. It got their attention. Throat gripper dropped the gun. I kicked it away and it clattered into a drain. Now, I'm in a hurry. I'm tempted to be the killer you say I am and disappear you two so that no one would ever have to deal with you again. I can cut you into little pieces and melt you down. This is medical grade asset. You'd both be one unified puddle by the time I'm done. Someone would stop you, good, said a sullen throat gripper. As if no one has even peeked in while we were having our little fracas. He had no answer to that. Okay, who wants to go first? They looked at me with fear in their eyes. Padamuka. I'll teach them to mess with innocent girls, cyborg doctors in dark alleys. I made a show of dialing up the concentration knob on the acid gun. The whine of the bone saw increased in pitch. Advancing, I kicked armrest in the groin. He hit the wall and crumpled to the ground as clouds of dust from the concrete swirled about him. With my right index finger extended, I stuck a needle into Throat Gripper's neck. He pawed ineffectively at the spot while I lowered him gently to the ground. What did you do to him? Impressive. That was quite a kick I gave Amres, but he was still talking. Emergency treatment. Are you going to kill us? Perhaps I should, I thought. They were criminals, thugs who had likely hurt people in the past. I thought of turning them over to the gens. I didn't relish the idea, but I couldn't let them go scot-free either. You were going to rape me, and when you couldn't, you were going to take me apart. What should I do with you? We wouldn't have hurt you. We just scare people and take their money. But you were going to take me apart. You're a robot. A thing. A killer. Healer, I insisted. He glanced at his unconscious friend as if to make a point. I realized then he was a lot younger than I had taken him for. He was barely out of his teens. He seemed confused and I could see that he was afraid of me. I should have felt gratified that my feint had worked, but the way he looked at me was reminiscent of the way people look at the marks, or the quacks from the Unit Pengasan virus, or the Atasan bosses. He behaved like someone who had always known that his life was in the hands of another. Fine, go ahead and kill us. It's not like anyone would care. I disabled the bone saw. Then I put the acid gun back in the holster that recessed into my thigh. The boy didn't attack me. My rage, whatever was left of it, Drain like solar-powered batteries during a prolonged monsoon. Do you know how to get to the hospital? Hesitating, he said, Mahal, doctor. Anyway, no IC. Your friend has a liver condition that needs immediate treatment or he may die. He's been complaining of pain here? I showed him where and he nodded. He needs surgery soon, according to the nanocable scan. I tapped my hair, which was nestling comfortably in a bun on my head. The injection contained a chemical tag with my instructions. The doctors at the hospital can read it. It will be free, no questions asked. No questions directed at them anyway, but the evening was going to be full of explaining myself and calling in favours. He didn't look convinced, but pulled his semi-conscious friend from the ground. They hobbled to the end of the lane where they stopped. People followed their expat paths on the main road and didn't look up. I busied myself by fixing the torn juba with some glue. Left ring finger. Why, why are you helping us? He said. I wanted to say that I didn't know, but that would have been a lie. Because I should. Because I can. Because I want to. Stranger, how things went so smoothly after you left the soup? Said Ah Wing later that evening at his workshop. Yes. Odd. You were in there for quite a while, in the lane. Worried much? Uh, not really. I'm hurt. Hey, thanks for the support today. 
just doing my job. Come on lah, you know it was more than that. After a pause, he said, You realise the bosses will find another way? I'd be disappointed if they didn't. Meanwhile, when you get the chance, go steal one of those hot sex spots coming out of Japan, will you? Knock off the top and do some fancy rewiring on me, if you please. Is this about the hourglass thing again? I thought I fixed it. I said I wanted to be shapely. You welded on some metal and stuffed it full of emergency bandages. That's not the same thing. I don't know what you want sometimes. Honestly, most of the time I don't know either. You still need me to fix your hair? I watched my reflection in the mirror. My hair was performing an elaborate dance with the music playing on the radio. Thank you, Aweng, but no. I like my hair just the way it is. to Angeline Woon for her story Underneath Her Tudung and thank you to Tasha Fusil Othniel Ting and Hanif Baharudin for performing it for us more stories coming to you next week on A Sunday Kind of Love in the meantime this is Robots from Flight of the Concords it's A Sunday Kind of Love I'm Maya Tan BFM 89.9 the distant future, the year 2000. The distant future, the distant future. It is the distant future, the year 2000. We are robots. The world is quite different ever since the robotic uprising of the late 90s. There is no more unhappiness. Affirmative. We no longer say yes. Instead, we say affirmative. Yes, affer- affirmative. Unless we know the other robot really well. There is no more unethical treatment of the elephants. Well, there's no more elephants, so... Ah, uh, but still, it's good. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.